Just 17 days, Toronto FC will be back on the field in San Jose to kick off the 2020 MLS season. Adding to that excitement, the Reds unveiled a new designated player this past week as Pablo Piatti has joined the club. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and on this week's Footy Talks podcast, we will discuss what the Argentine signing means for Toronto FC, as well as a new club in the nation's capital and the Canadian women's national team qualifying for the Olympics once again. A little bit later on, Carlos Verdi will stop by to join me to talk all things Atletico Ottawa. But first, it's Waking the Red Managing Editor, Michael Singh. Michael, great as always to have you on the podcast. Hey, Mitch, thanks for having me. Happy uh, 2020. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we were just talking, it's, it feels like it's been a long off-season, but uh, now starting to come to an end, we've had uh, all those classic preseason friendlies that we can't watch and um, are reading way too much into, you know, a couple tweets that, that we're getting out of these things, mostly just who's scoring and that sort of thing, but, uh, you know, the one big piece of news that has come out of this off-season so far, uh, of course, is the signing of a new designated player, Pablo Piatti. Um, just the basics on him, a 30-year-old, although he will turn 31 next month, um, a wide player in Toronto FC likes the flexibility they get with him as well, over 300 games, all competitions in Spain, including UEFA Champions League most notably, as well as being in the La Liga team of the season in 2016-17, uh, one cap for Argentina as well, and also won the U-20 World Cup at BMO Field, famously with Argentina in 2017, so Definitely a player that brings uh, a good pedigree. You know, uh, obviously there's been bigger names that have come to MLS, uh, but you know, in terms of a resume and, and number of games played at a high level, uh, that's got to be right up there. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head there. So it's right up there. I mean, uh, Bill Manning compared him to Carlos Vera, Villa and uh, Nico Ladero right off the bat. Um, and you know what? <laughs> yeah, of course. And Pablo Piatti, he also put himself there because he still feels at 30 30 years old you know um some of his peers those guys are the same age and he feels he can still compete at that level he still feels he has a lot to give so um tfc really mentioned that their goal was to keep him on the field uh pablo was open to them apparently about his history his injury history i'm sure we'll, we'll get into that more later um but they're comfortable with what they have going forward and they're they're actually really excited not only about the player but about the person as well yeah i'm curious to see the the fit of pablo piatti just because you know there was two things toronto fc really wanted this offseason that was to add um some more width to the team to add a winger and then to add goals as well pablo piatti not a player necessarily known for goal scoring uh during his time in la liga but you know with that being said we've seen players who maybe not necessarily the greatest goal scorers in other leagues come into mls and and you know be able to to dominate that way but uh what i do like is the creativity that he'll bring and that's something that you know you can never have enough of certainly victor vasquez is a guy you kind of point to when you're hoping um you know the kind of the architect you're hoping for in terms of a player coming in and being successful and adding something new to toronto fc um, you know, just having another attacking piece up there who is creative and has a lot of experience breaking down defenses can't hurt at all. Where, how do you think Piatti fits into this team and, and adds more to, uh, you know, a, a midfield and winger mix that's getting more and more interesting by the week, it feels like? Yeah, um, you know, they're, they're adding to virtually the same team that reached the MLS Cup final uh, some three, four months ago. Um 
you know, it's it's going to be exciting to see how he really integrates himself with Alejandro Pozuelo, Josie Altador, and how he really makes that left wing his own position. Um, as a designated player, you expect someone to perhaps take over a game, you know, create something on, on his own. But I feel like he's almost a surplus to what Toronto FC have already been able to do because TFC are able to get that ball to Josie Altador in dangerous places. Alejandro Pozuelo is able to pull strings in the midfield to, you know, create space for either Subasa Endo or another, you know, Erickson Gallardo. Um, so having <laughs> the luxury of adding Pablo Piatti on top of this team is is something, you know, I don't think we've actually quite seen in the league yet because we haven't seen a team really reach the MLS Cup final and then go out and add another piece to, you know, s- supplement the same group of players that's virtually coming back. Bill Manning said that uh, the TFC is bringing back, I believe, 84% of their scoring. Uh, they had in 2019 and of course they're losing Nico Benazet who was brought in in August and um, Drew Moore, Jay Chapman of course some some significant pieces but I think Toronto FC have have gotten better overall Uh, of course if you if you look at the quality of Pablo Piatti and what he's supposed to be in a designated player um, so yeah, I just uh, I'm excited to see him burn down the left wing. I think he brings a ton of speed. I think he's he's physical. That's one thing uh, TSC fans should expect is he won't shy away from going into a 50-50 challenge. And uh, in the MLS, with that with that directness plus his his understanding of of the game, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. And you mentioned off the top, there are some concerns with this player, and I think maybe they were a little overhyped in the sense that you know when when the name Pablo Piatti ended enter the conversation. I think a lot of Toronto FC fans, um, you know, he's, he's an, uh, almost a niche name. You know, if you watch La Liga, you know who he is, but if you don't, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily carry the same brand as uh, most of Toronto FC's recent signings of the designated players, certainly Sebastian Javinko, uh, Michael Bradley and Josie Altador, just of course, because they're North American based and, and they were known as, as a result of that. But, um, you, you know, the, he does come with this injury history. You said he was upfront about it, and obviously Toronto FC have reportedly been incredibly thorough in their testing, as you would expect them to be. Um, Alex McCaffney of the Raptors has been involved heavily on that side as well, which, uh, you know, goes into the load management stuff that potentially they'll, they'll look at doing with Piatti as well. But uh, what do you make of some of those concerns? And, um, you know, the, the fact that the club did decide to bring in an aging designated player versus, uh, I think, maybe what a lot of people were hoping for in terms of a younger player, just because that seems to be the way the league's going with its, its designated players. Yeah. There's a couple layers to that there. Um, first off, I think off the bat, uh, and Bill Manning did say this as well in the conference call is that anytime you bring in a player with an ACL injury, you're taking a risk. Um, so Toronto FC know that they're taking a risk. However, he, he threw out some uh, other interesting numbers at us too. He said uh, 95 to 90% of players who do suffer ACL injuries nowadays recover from those injuries. And about 65 to 75% of them return to the same quality of player they were before they suffered the injury. So those those are interesting numbers to hold on to. Um, I believe in the MLS itself, 74% of players return uh, to action and played three years. Now, Bill Manning wanted a uh, two-year window with Pablo Piatti, and I think that sort of touches on the the CBA there 
that you're kind of alluding to with uh, the new young designated player and with the sort of unclarity with those rules going forward. Um, so what they're really looking for is someone short term who can make an impact. And they came to the realization after seeing five different doctors, Alex McKechnie is one of them. They saw another uh, Blue Jays and uh, Toronto Maple Leafs um, orthopedic surgeon. Um, and a couple of other team team doctors and physiotherapists, and they came to the conclusion that the risk was uh, risk assessment was above seventy percent, and that was that was Bill Manning's words that uh, you know they would be comfortable getting that two year window from Piatti. So yeah, we will see uh, some of that load management going forward, as you mentioned there. Um, any Raptors fans listening know what that's going to be like. So it could be frustrating during the regular season at times, but. Hey, TFC's goal is to win the MLS Cup, and they, they want to win the Supporters' Shield. So uh, the only way to do that is to really have all their players on the field, and Pablo Piatti is going to be uh, hopefully one of them. That's their plan. Yeah, it's uh, you, you kind of mentioned the short-term aspect of this contract, and I guess the, the flexibility that gives Toronto C from a salary cap standpoint um, you know, it's it's reportedly a one-year deal. Uh, I think you tweeted out um, that it's 1.6 per season. So, um, you know, with him joining on a free, so basically he can be bought down to a TAM if they want to keep him. Of course, it's a one-year plus option. So um, they're only really on the hook for, for this season at the moment. Um, what does that mean for Toronto FC in terms of, you know, getting a quality player, but also getting one that, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, they can move on quickly or if it does work out, they can probably bring him back at a rate that you know would be conducive to him being um, not necessarily needing to be a designated player, essentially. Yeah, and I think that's sort of icing on the cake, and I think that's why it's really critical that Ali Curtis and Bill Manu did bring in Pablo Piatti at this time. Um, with the, the evolving you know, negotiation with the CBA, you know, evolving rules that come with it, um, TFC needed that flexibility to have that one year plus that option at the end of the season to potentially um, go in a different direction, let's say, if uh, if the CBA needed them to with perhaps a, an under-23 mandatory designated player. Um, again, we don't we don't know. It, the the, the Piatti's deal is reported. Um, we don't know for sure. I haven't confirmed it with the players yet. Uh, but those are the numbers that are definitely out there. It's through a couple different sources there. Um, and his, when I t spoke to Ali Curtis, I asked him about Piatti's uh, contract length. He did mention that it does give the team room to adapt moving forward. Um, again, he would leave. He would, didn't give me too much detail. He wanted to leave that up to Pablo himself if he wanted to disclose that. But um, he did emphasize. Ali did emphasize that it was not a three-year. It was not a four-year deal, and it did give the the team. The team had to make a decision, I guess, what they had to do at the end of the season is what he was alluding to. So with that that in mind, it, it's really, really great that TFC are in a spot where they can check out a player, I guess, for eight months, give them almost an extended trial, let's say, as a designated player. And, um, and if it works out, hey, great, pick up that option, keep him as your designated player, hypothetically, or, you know, buy him down, make him a TAM. Uh, GAM, we'll see where that cap goes and the CBA goes. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of different options that T CFC can can go from this moving forward. And uh, I think Ali Curtis and Bill Mann did a really good job here with that contract. 
you almost like that too because it's it's a player betting on themselves in some ways you know he's not he he's, doesn't have that long term or that big money where he, he can kind of uh, almost rest on his laurels a little bit you know he needs to he needs to work on this uh if the numbers reported are correct to you know to make sure he's guaranteeing things going forward so uh you like that aspect of it as well i'd have to think and um let's talk a little bit moving on to to that mls cba you mentioned and, and some of the new rules um that are in place that um, might change you know the salary cap situation going forward for sides i know fans almost instantly their eyes glaze over when they hear about anything cba related and i feel like that's largely in canada uh, due to the NHL and, and some of the rough collective bargaining negotiations they've had. But by all means, these are pretty amicable uh, negotiations between the two sides. Um, it it seems like everyone was pretty happy with the deal they got and, and kind of the progress that MLS is making on uh, both the player and, and the team sides. Um, I guess just briefly, Michael, what, what stands out to you is, is kind of the biggest points of, of the CBA um, that are going to be most relevant for fans? Yeah, most relevant, I guess we, we touched on this a couple of times, is definitely going to be that third, third CBA spot, or sorry, third designated player spot, um, that the league now has the ability, which was kind of some funny wording, the league now has the ability to sort of limit uh, teams who want to spend over the, sorry, teams that want to have a third designated player who are over the age of 23 i guess if all three of their designated players are over that age the league can step in and say hey no you can't do that or else the you have to you can only pay the player x amount of dollars um i personally i'm i'm not i'm not the biggest fan of this rule just because i think we need to compete with liga mx um and i think fan that's something that will stand out for fans as well i think that they'll see a lot of teams now buying players that fans average fans let's say that don't really follow european soccer they're going to start hearing names that they don't know um and you see the frustration already with let's say pavel piatti who's a household name in europe um and you see the frustration with tfc fans because this guy's a ufa uefa player the season for la liga and yet tfc fans are still here uh you know, voicing their displeasure because they didn't get a Mario Balotelli or, you know, a, an icon they see on, like, a, the cover of FIFA. But little do they know, it, it's still a, a, quite a quality player. And, you know, we'll see more of that if, if the CBA does go to that. Uh, another thing that really stood out to me was the, the charter flights. And for Toronto FC, it doesn't make that much of a difference. But for other smaller market clubs, it, it's a, it's costly. Um, the Athletic did a little Q&A there, and they were saying that for some clubs, it, it could cost a couple hundred thousand dollars a year extra uh, per flight, and that's or per like round trip, and that's that's a hefty hefty fee for an MLS club when their, for example, their entire budget may be perhaps two million. And to add an extra 25% on top of that, that's, that's significant. So um, there's little little smaller details. Uh, you can find the full CBA agreement, actually. Um, we, we did an article on our Wake in the Red. You can actually find a little rundown on it there uh, if you are interested in that. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, going to be some dynamic changes moving forward. Yeah, those charter flights were definitely a, a massive sticking point this past year. It seemed like Wayne Rooney was tweeting about some sort of flight here or there every week. So um, definitely one of those things that I think the players are very happy that they've been able to figure out going forward. 
Um, let, let's get back to the, the soccer itself and, and talk about the Canadian women's national team uh, this past week, clinching the, their berth at the Olympics, uh, the fourth straight Olympics they've been to, uh, coming off back-to-back finishes, of course, at the Olympic Games. Uh, they finished runner-up in the tournament, 3-0 loss to the United States in the final, but, you know, some positives. Certainly, Christine Sinclair breaking the world record for most international goals and Jordan Heidema becoming the youngest player to win the tournament's golden boot uh, as well, including scoring the gold that sent Canada to the Olympics. So what do you make of the, the tournament overall and, and what Canada needs to build on now as they head, uh, of course, into an Olympic year and, and you know, an opportunity potentially to, to get back on a podium? And I, I, think, uh, I think Christine Sinclair has, has been quoted a couple times saying she's tired of bronze medals. So we all know what the goal is for this team, um, regardless of how realistic that is. Yeah, I think what was really impressive for me was uh, Canada found a way to score again. Um, it was clear last season they struggled to, to find the back of the net um, in the Women's World Cup there. Um, and <laughs> they came out storming in, in, in 2020. They put up 22 goals in their first three matches. Um, it was quite an impressive feat. And... You know, it was happening from a variety of players. Yeah, Jordan Heinemann was one, one of them. Um, Janine Becky was great down the wing. Um, Christine Sinclair was obviously Christine Sinclair. Um, so I think it's it's great that we're kind of seeing um, can, the women's soccer going from the age of Christine Sinclair and Melissa Tancredi to now being passed over to Jordan Heidema and, you know, some of these younger players that are coming in. Um, what also really stood out to me was how great they were at the back. Um, Buchanan was was fantastic. She 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 led the defense and was um, unbelievable all tournament. So I think that's something really to build on is that they have, you know, they have a solid midfield, they have a solid defense, they have a solid attacking core. Um, they played well against the U.S. despite despite the outcome. Um, while it wasn't obviously the U.S.'s strongest team. It was still a, a formidable side that Canada went up against, and they, uh, in the first half, for sure, outplayed them. In the second half, um, they could have found a few goals. Um, so you know, it, it's something to build on, and I'm excited to see where uh, where this these women teams go. Um, and then they're they have a couple upcoming friendlies, um, and they entered the first ever tournament of France, which is set to take place in March. So keep an eye out. Uh, there's there'll be some good quality women's soccer to watch. Yeah, certainly. I think a, a pretty good runway up to the Olympic Games with that Tournoi de France, and uh, they have the French, the Netherlands, and Brazil. So pretty stiff competition there. And then, of course, a, a home friendly against Australia in April in BC. So you're playing, you know, four of the top teams in the world, guaranteed there. So really, an opportunity to to um, test their medal again. And like you said, I think. Overall, it was a pretty good tournament. Even against the States, you know, the goals they got scored on were largely Canadian mistakes, and a goal against is a goal against, but it's not like the States were, you know, consistently ripping them apart in the way we've seen some Canadian sides get, get taken apart in the past. So that defensive is that defensive uh, structure is definitely what this team's going to build on and what will take them deep, but uh, that little influx of offense is, is kind of the difference maker that um you know we'll we'll probably end up deciding how far they go at these olympic games so it is good to see that um that have a pretty solid tournament uh before i let you go uh, and we'll talk uh, a lot more about this on the other side of the break with carlos i did want to quickly uh, get your thoughts on atletico ottawa officially announced you know we've got a coach um, <laughs> an interesting coach if you're a toronto fc fan we've got 
um, uh, you know, the, the logo and the name as well. So a lot of exciting stuff taking place yesterday in the nation's capital. Uh, what did you make of it all? It's great. It's fantastic. We had to get a team in Ottawa. It was so imperative that Canada soccer get its its nation's capital uh, professional team that was, you know, backed by legitimate management. Um, there was unfortunately a, a few incidents the Ottawa Fury that, you know, sort of tainted their reputation almost. Uh, I'm not saying it was their fault, but just when you have that sort of spotlight on the club, um, and it's it's not great. So it's great to see a rebranding. It's great to see this new um, this new launch, and I'm, I'm excited to see what who they bring in, and I'm excited to see what Mista does at that at that in charge there. You know, uh, former TFC striker. I'm excited to see. We'll see. We'll see what he does there. Yeah, certainly. Um, Michael, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. And as always, looking forward to a great year over at Waking the Red. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me. And uh, let's, let's go TFC. When we come back on the Footy Talks podcast, Carlos Verdi on Atletico Ottawa and Paolo Piatti. We are back on the Footy Talks podcast with Carlos Verdi. Carlos, great to have you on. I think this is your debut on the proper show. I know you were on our La Liga show pretty regularly a while back when we were doing that, but uh, and that expertise will certainly come in handy with the, the topics we're talking about today, but great to have you on the show proper. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks. Happy to join. Always happy to help out with the footy talks uh, side of things. And, uh, you know, big fan of Spanish soccer, big fan of TFC, so uh, happy to help. And I did want to have you on because, of course, uh, your involvement with the Ottawa soccer scene, having spent some time uh, with the Ottawa Fury organization in, in various iterations. Um, and I wanted to discuss yesterday's announcement, evidently an eighth team joining the Canadian Premier League in partnership with Atletico Madrid. Atletico Ottawa uh, is the name. So we got the name, the badge, the coach yesterday. Uh, still a lot of details to sort out, you know, like who's going to actually play for the club. Uh, but what were your thoughts on, on the announcement itself and, and I guess how things have all gone down the, the past couple of years in, in Ottawa? Yeah, I think that uh, it's it's probably a best-case scenario for Ottawa supporters. Um, the fact that, you know, they're still going to have a team at TD Place in 2020. Uh, obviously, the international backing plus the local ownership, the local investor angle with Jeff Hunt, a guy who's already turned around one sports property successfully in, in Ottawa in the 67s back at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think it's a good fit. It's a win for Ottawa soccer fans. It's a, it's a huge needed win for the CPL going into a year two with the seven team schedule simply wasn't, it wasn't a good look for the league. And I think having this sort of fall into their lap with Atletico Madrid trying to trying to expand their their global footprint and stuff made a lot of sense um so it's a win for all parties involved i'm, I'm really curious how the partnership with atleti is going to develop it's on it's clear that you know this is a branding brand awareness move off the hop mm-hmm. it remains to be seen what what kind of player development deals and back and forth on the soccer side of things is going to go down between you know the team proper there in mahala honda at their facility in madrid versus what's on the ground in Ottawa. But, you know, the appointment of Mista as head coach points to a couple of, well, as head coach and GM points to a couple of things. And that is that, you know, his coaching experience in Spain was it, I was at Rio Vallecano most recently with their under-19s and playing in the in the Madrid group of the, you know, Juvenil A. 
And what that shows me is that Atleti is seeing this as a place where they can send younger players for development, where they where they expect to field a, a very young squad. And I think that they touched on that in the presser yesterday. Um, Thomas Neff, obviously, reporting that in Spanish, uh, he, the CEO of Atletico Madrid, confirmed that the CPL salary cap is in the 750 to 800 range. Mm-hmm. So that leaves very little wiggle room. Um, I'm kind of curious with loans and whatnot how that's going to impact the salary cap because I think Atletico Ottawa is going to have a very unique roster composition within the CFL, Mitchell. And, and it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this team comes together in a you know six- to eight-week period. Uh, the rumor is that they're obviously going to have training camp in Madrid, which I think would make the most sense and probably put them at an advantage versus... Uh, what pretty much every other CPL team is going to be doing for preseason this year, which has, of course, been brought in-house with each individual team as opposed to the La Romana exercise in the Dominican last year, which I think was was met with mixed reviews but also made sense for a first-year startup. But all that said, uh, exciting times ahead for Ottawa soccer, uh, an exciting hire with Nista, and, and you know, some, some brand recognition there. So, I, I, you know, I wish them all the best in year one, and, and I'm just very happy for, for Ottawa soccer fans who deserve to have a, a pro team in that world-class facility to support year in, year out at TD Place. Yeah, very well said. I, I did want to get your thoughts on what, for, for some reason, I guess, has become almost the most the biggest talking point out of this, even though, you know, long-term, um, it, it really probably doesn't have much of an effect on either the club or, uh, you know, any of the competitions. But I did want to get your thoughts on, on what you think about Ottawa and the Voyagers' Cup this year. You know, should they be involved? What level should they be involved in? And um, where should they go from there? Because there's, there's a lot of mixed opinions on how this club should, should be put in this competition. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's it's challenging. Now, you know, you can understand that the CPL has definitely had an eight-team schedule ready in their back pocket as this has kind of been developing, but for Canada soccer, it's a little bit more complex, right? I and mean, they, they've released the schedule, they've got their qualifying round ready for June, all the matchups are set. Um, so the question now kind of becomes, how does this play out? Now, I think I think there is a pretty easy solution, and that would be, have Atletico Ottawa play Cavalry, make that a fifth first-round qualifying round game, or matchup, pardon me, in June, and then have the three MLS teams through to the quarterfinals. I think that's the easiest fix mm-hmm. from a logistics standpoint. I mean, Ottawa to Calgary is not an ideal midweek trip in the middle of a what's probably already going to be a pretty congested CPL schedule this year, but you have to get this team into the Canadian Cup. They're a professional team. They're playing in the CPL alongside all of the other, you know, seven teams that are going to be in the Canadian Championship that are making up the bulk of the competitors. Uh, You have to get them in, and now I think it's just going to be a little bit of logistical hoop work trying trying to figure it out from a scheduling perspective. But, you know, I don't even think it's that difficult to shift because you put Cavalry and Atleti, and I'll call them Atleti here because that seems <laughs> to be catching on, and I, yeah. I kind of ship it, to be honest. Um, but Atletico Ottawa and Calgary in the qualifying round, that's going to give you five teams joining the pot of the three MLS teams in the quarterfinals in July, and I, I just think that that makes the most sense, right? No, nobody's kidding ourselves. CPL is still a step down from MLS right now, and and the three MLS teams should rightfully have a place in the quarterfinals, at least for the time being, in the current uh, championship format. So I think, yeah, you're going to see Atletico Ottawa face Cavalry. It's easy. You don't have to touch the other four matchups that are already set in stone with Blainville and Masters and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then you just have a redraw for the quarterfinals where you know the three MLS teams can't play each other. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that does make the most sense as a solution, and evidently, you know, we've seen some some pretty interesting decisions in terms of the fixtures in in this competition in the past. So it's not like you know they're they're breaking some sort of sacred tradition or anything by um, by reshuffling it, and the competition is going to just continue to um, be you know at least interesting to schedule over the next couple of years as as the Canadian Premier League continues to grow and adds teams. So um, I. You know, I, I'm not in any way uncomfortable with Ottawa being added into the into the competition proper. Um, you, you mentioned Mista. You know, certainly someone who definitely is is well known in, in Canadian soccer circles for his his short uh, stint with Toronto FC. Um, and and that kind of brings us to another player who has plenty of La Liga experience, who Toronto FC signed this week, and that's Pablo Piatti. Um, as a designated player, uh, a lot of experience and time as someone you would have seen with Espanyol and Valencia, UEFA Champions League experience, uh, La Liga team of the season a couple of years back as well. Uh, but uh, also getting on a, a little bit here in, in terms of age and, and certainly in terms of injury as well, missing a lot of time the past couple of seasons. Um, what did you think of the signing and uh, what can he bring to the, the Toronto FC side that, uh, you know, is coming off yet another trip to the MLS Cup final? Yeah, I think the first thing to note with Pablo Piatti is that as, as much as everyone's excited about his Valencia years and his Champions League experience and his 2016-17 La Liga Team of the Year nod, what they are getting now in 30, 31-year-old Pablo Piatti is is a completely different player from what from from even you know three four years ago he's had some pretty major injuries uh struggled to integrate and find himself a place in in espanol's squad which is currently dead last in la liga and just in the middle of a of a horrible year and they've had a couple of good results recently but he really hasn't featured much outside of uh, cup play and you know coming off the bench at that so this is this is a Pablo Piatti that is no longer good enough uh, for La Liga. He was offered a mutual termination by Espanyol. But with that said, the vision alone, the soccer IQ, the the experience, the the pace at which he'll see the game is still going to be miles ahead of of most other players uh, on TFC and in the MLS. So from that respect, I'm not worried about him. The respect that I do worry. And the reason why I think the one plus one with the club option deal on this on this contract is good for TFC. It, one, it offers them protection because you don't know what you're getting. This is a player, even though he's been checked out, and Ali Curtis said that you know all the MLSE doctors have been with him throughout the rehab process the last few weeks. You still don't know what you're getting. You haven't seen him in a game. You haven't mm-hmm. seen him trying to hold up under a long grind of an MLS schedule, and that's where. You know, I, I do wonder. You get the injury-prone label being bounded around. He's five-three. You know, one hundred and thirty-five pounds, soaking wet, probably. Uh, I just wonder if he's going to be able to hold up under the under the the rigors of an MLS schedule. You know, the the physical off-field grind of the cross-continent travel, um, and of course the style of play as well. It's a very high-octane, hundred miles an hour for ninety minutes type league on a lot of weekends. I just don't know if the body's going to hold up. But with that said, I still like the move from TFC. It's fairly risk-free. It's, a, it's basically a one deal. And if it works out, they have the option to bring him back on a team friend on what would be a team-friendly deal if he ends up being a, a contributing DP in the starting eleven. So, you know, I I like the move, um, but I I do think that expectations need to be tempered here. 
Um, the other thing I do want to mention too, you mentioned Mista. The last thing I want to mention about uh, Atletico Ottawa's manager mm-hmm. is that an underrated part of that hire, in addition to all of his La Liga playing experience and youth coaching experience in Spain, is that he came up with Rafa Benitez at Real Madrid's youth setup, followed by Tenerife, followed by the Golden at Valencia. So he also has worked very closely with, for what my money is, is one of the top managers in the world, has been in the 21st century at least. So Mista has that experience. But going back to Pablo Piatti, um, I like the move for TFC in that it's fairly risk-free. They got him uh, for free, I believe, and with, with Espanol's mutual termination. And so it's a pretty risk-free deal, you know, the one plus one. So it's, it's tough for me to criticize the move. I would just say that expectations should definitely be tempered because this is not the same player that we saw, you know, starring for Valencia at at contributing at Espanol uh, as as recently as two, three years ago. So overall, it's a it's a risk-free move for TFC and plenty of upside if if he can stay on the field. Right, and I do like the fact that they were able to, to get the, the deal done early as well. I mean, it's not like we're going to see him coming into the summer and having to integrate in, in the full swing of the season, uh, which always tends to be difficult for players. You know, even Pozuelo last year, um, they, they, they brought him in you know, towards the start of the season, not quite having the ability to play in training camp as well, and evidently hit the ground running right away, but then struggled a little bit after that. So uh, I do like the fact that he's going to get some preseason games here and get an opportunity to integrate himself in the side right away. Um, But Carlos, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate uh, all the expertise you brought on today. Yeah, no problem, Mitch. Thanks for having me. And to the rest of you with the MLS season coming up shortly, we have a lot of exciting announcements coming over here at Footy Talk, so stay tuned and check on our socials. And as always, thanks for listening.